Good day, this is Mark Pesci, and welcome to This Week in Startups Australia. In this episode, we're going south, down to Melbourne, where we'll speak to Scott Hansecker, founder of Startup Victoria, to get his take on what Melbourne needs to be a world-class destination for tech entrepreneurs. Then we'll dive back into the weird and wonderful world of digital currencies with Chris Kozowski, founder and CEO of ABA Technology. He's been putting Bitcoin ATMs around Australia's capital cities and wants to make it super easy for anyone to buy and spend Bitcoins. This Week in Startups Australia is proudly sponsored by Optus Innovate, providing support and investment to the whole Australian startup community, and by Oxygen Ventures, investing in passionate and innovative tech entrepreneurs. Hi, this is Mark Pesci. I'm back again with Melbourne Matt Allen. Say hello, Matt. Hello, Mark. And you're listening to This Week in Startups Australia. Today, we're, we're here with Scott Hansicker, who is one of the founders of Startup Victoria. But really, what we're going to do is we're going to have a conversation about the startup landscape in Victoria and in Melbourne. So, Scott, what led to the founding of Startup Victoria? Sure. So, probably about a year and a half ago, I took over a meetup. And that meetup hadn't been running consistently for a while. So I took it over because I was interested in community stuff and actually doing events and getting people interested in startups. And we took that event from about 800 people to about 4,000 in about 12 months. Um, and it turned it into the biggest tech event, biggest regular tech event in Australia. So we get about 400 people along every month. And that showed us that there was a real desire in the community for something like that. Um, but you know, my co-founder of Startup Victoria is Lenny Mayer. And we had lots of conversations about Events like that fall over because the people who are doing them get tired and they go off and do other things. Well, and, uh, and it's because, A, they're not being compensated, right? So you get volunteer burnout. And, B, if they're in the startup community, they may actually go off and do a startup. Exactly. I mean, that event, we ran it volunteer last year, and it cost us probably about $25,000 across that first year, which was covered with sponsors, but it's not an insignificant amount of money to raise every every month, right? Um, so in terms of institutionalizing something like that, we wanted to make an institution to be able to support that. So we turned it into Startup Victoria. So Startup Victoria is loosely based on New York Tech Meetup, um, and we talked to Jessica Lawrence, who's their um, main person over there. We just Skyped her and, and got her feedback on what it was like. Um, and what we did, we created a not-for-profit. So we raised some money from some high net worth investors in Melbourne. We matched that with some Victorian state government funding. And we, what we got was a hopefully sustainable base to create an organisation to support Melbourne's founders. The idea behind it is that Melbourne has a great opportunity to be a place to build a startup. Um, it's not the world's best at the moment, but it can be over the next 10, 15 years, and it's going to take that long. So, so, Matt, what's holding Melbourne back? Why is it not, What are the knocking points for it not being a great place? Because you've been an entrepreneur here for how long? I've been here for 12 months and, and was in Sydney before that. So um, I think the thing's holding it back. There's not a lot holding it back anymore. I think the last um, observing... The Melbourne sort of after coming out of um, spending a lot of time in Sydney, um, there's not a lot holding it back, and Startup Victoria is certainly helping, um, providing the support for founders um, to hang out with like-minded individuals that sort of understand the the pressures of trying to trying to get your um your tech startup off the ground. So it's it's sort of the support group, right? I mean, it's like that. You know, everyone goes, "Hi, I'm Mark. I'm an entrepreneur." Hi, Mark. <laughs> kind of, um, you know. And then there's um uh, a few of the guys that have been around for a while are. Uh, um, really successful. Uh, a few of us have been around have had uh, less success in a few things, and I, I think that's um, over the last little while we're starting to talk more about that as well. So, 
What are the goals then, Scott, for Startup Victoria? What, what would you consider success point? So Startup Victoria, I mean, our short tagline is more founders, better founders. So we focused on getting more people into entrepreneurship. So, I mean, the Melbourne scene and the Victorian scene is growing, um, but it has a way to go. It's still a very early scene. And Better Founders is about taking people, perhaps like myself and Matt, who've been cracking at it for a few years and helping them be better at it. With more founders, we focus more on inspiration, education, um, encouraging them to have a crack. With better founders, the thing we can do best for better founders is peer-to-peer networking. So we actually connect better founders with other better founders. So we went out and found the best 100 startup founders in Melbourne and we said, you need to get together and meet every month. And so we organised those dinners. Um, And personally, as an entrepreneur, I found that fantastic for me for the last two or three years that I did that. We'd have about 10 other founders who'd meet once a month at a pub. Um, It's an extraordinarily valuable thing to do. Um, kind of similar to like YC dinners where that's a fantastic thing to get together and, you know, and learn. Um, but it's just about learning from each other. So in terms of Startup Victoria being successful, it will be successful if A, more startups are created and B, more startups are successful. So it's about creating opportunity for Melbourne. Do, do we know sort of what the value of tech startups is to the Victorian economy right now? How many people are working in them? I don't off the top of my head. That's a... That's a good question, and one of the things Startup Victoria is trying to do at the moment is actually establish a baseline of measurement. It's really important when you're talking to government, you say, I want you to support me, and they say, well, how many people do you have? How many jobs do you have? So we need a baseline so we can say, okay, over the last few years, you know, Startup Victoria has seen the community grow X percent. Um, so we're working on trying to establish that baseline at the moment. So uh, you know, yesterday we were all at the Above All Human conference, which was sponsored by Startup Victoria, or organized really by organized, Startup yeah. Victoria. Was that, uh, uh, were a lot of the folks there folks who are members of Startup Victoria, and was there a big intersection set there? So was that sort of representative of what the community is like? Yeah, it absolutely is. So, I mean, off the back of the event we were running last year, we've built probably the biggest list in Melbourne of founders, entrepreneurs, innovators, makers. Um, and for Above All Human, which is our kind of flagship conference, we essentially push that to our list as the main sales channel. And we probably sold, you know, 80, 90% of those tickets through that channel. So right. I think Startup Victoria is quite representative. was really sold out. I mean, it was oversubscribed by a couple of hundred seats. Yeah, we need a bigger venue next year. We need to find a venue that will take 1,000, 1,500 people. Okay, so then I guess if you've, if you've got this, you're doing this educating, you're doing this mentoring, what are, and this is really a question for both of you, what are the missing pieces that will really make the engine start ticking over here? Uh, I think um, uh, there's a, a gap in some, some funding gaps still. Um, people that... Which, at which level? Uh, at... You know, we spoke. Uh, we spoke before about the um, sort of the friends and family or people like us the around, which like is us kind around, of yeah. like that that precede like enough money for you to just sort of um, maybe uh, work a little less so you can focus on this. There's a gap between that and sort of the next level up, um, or a couple hundred, couple hundred thousand dollars. It's a bit of an awkward spot mm. where VCs won't go down that low. Right. Um, angels, you know, to get two hundred thousand dollars out of a single angel would be a stretch. Yeah. Um, um, but also, well, I mean, uh, look at, you know, you have uh, Blackbird Ventures. Blackbird Ventures, each partner in Blackbird Ventures is only invested to around a quarter million dollars. And that's a full VC fund. So yeah. really, if you're thinking about $200,000 from a single angel, that's not, they're not thinking about themselves as angels anymore. They're thinking about themselves as sort of Series A. 
you know, exactly partners right. in the Series A round. So, so you know, if you've managed to get your your team together, uh, build some product, and get a little bit of traction, it seems it certainly gets easier. It's, uh, I've had some evidence of that being um, e- easier if you can tick those boxes. But um, prior to that, it's still difficult if you if you need some some um, help to prove your hypothesis. Is there? Something like, I mean, we have AngelList in America, right, which has been really good at being able to aggregate angel investors at relatively small, like two to $5,000, so they can come in syndicated to fund a company to that level of $200,000. Is that one of the pieces that we need here? Is that some of one of the things that Startup Victoria should be helping create? Yeah, I, um, I, I actually... Uh met the Prime Minister at, um, at the hub where I work uh, the other day uh, when they were talking about um, crowdfunding equity. Um, and, and it is a problem. So here in Australia, you're not allowed to publicly announce that you're raising money unless you have a prospectus. Right. And getting a prospectus is a painful and expensive thing, and there's a whole bunch of other rules go around that. So you're not allowed to uh, tell anybody you're raising money unless you tell them privately. Right. Um, so if and they were talking about um, uh, uh, making more allowances for that to happen and, and advertising on a website like like AngelList or, or so forth is, is certainly a piece of the puzzle. Um, they were also talking about putting silly rules around it, like maximum of a certain amount per right. per investor, which would would really put some constraints on it. But I guess their heads may be heading in the right direction. But it, I'd like to see that happen. Right, and I just saw something in I think the Fin Review on Monday where we're starting to see the first guidance around that from government. So, I mean, for Startup Victoria, I put out the idea that one of the things Startup Victoria should focus on and can do, I don't know how we do it, but is to affect cultural change. So what I mean by that is Australia, and this is not just for Melbourne and Victoria, but all around Australia, it's a fantastic place to live, right? Melbourne's the most world's most livable city. Um, it's really comfortable life, which is not probably the best conditions for doing a startup. Um, so on the basis that, you know, if you talk to people... Well, because, because unit labour costs are high, but then on the other hand, levels of education are high, infrastructure levels are high. Yeah, absolutely. Rents are high. I mean, it's, yeah. That's true. So I mean, we had Steve Blank out here a couple of months ago, um, and one of the things he talked about was, you know, you don't have to go to Silicon Valley to do your startup, but you need to go to Silicon Valley to see how fast the game is played. Um, entrepreneurship is played three or four times quicker in Silicon Valley than it is here. I was in London a couple of weeks ago and I'm sitting there in the Google co-working campus. It opens at 9am. At 9.15, the place is full. The world is out hustling Australia, in my opinion. Um, and it's because life is pretty comfortable in Australia. And so startups, and I've been guilty of this myself over the last few years, we're not running fast enough. You're listening to This Week in Startups, Comfortable Australia. <laughs> we'll be right back. Hi, this is Mark Pesci. And you're going to hear me rave a little bit about Optus Innovate here. Yes, they are a sponsor, but I have been working with Alfred Lowe and Peter Wynn for a few years now, helping them do amazing things with the startup community. You know, they are one of the first people who helped fund fish burners. They help out at Innovation Bay. Almost every startup conference, you will see their banner because they are there with the dollars, with the expertise, with their time to help make the startup ecosystem in Australia work. And of course, they're also an active local VC and they're looking for Series A investment opportunities. So if you think you have a company that's ready to be funded by Optus Innovate, go to them. You can find out more at optusinnovate.com.au. And we're back. 
I'm here with Matt Allen and Scott Hensecker, and we're talking about startups and Victoria. We left on a very interesting note, which is that maybe the entrepreneurs in Australia aren't quite that hungry. What can we do, guys, to get them motivated? Uh, I think hungry is a good word for it. So it's hustle, it's hungry, it's it's almost like um, there's no urgency to how we build our startups here in Australia and that needs to be there because the rest of the world, the successful ecosystems, the startup founders there have that sense of urgency and they have that hustle to really get up and go. Um, so I think one of the things we definitely can do is make sure our best founders and our best people are getting into those ecosystems. They need to get across to London, to Berlin, to Silicon Valley, to San Francisco, to New York and see how fast the game is played. And when they do that, they'll find that they're just as capable of doing that they're not out of place, they are actually world class and they can actually do it, which was my experience when I go to South by Southwest. I look around, I thought, I'm surrounded by the best. I feel okay here. Yeah. I don't feel out of my league, um, but I need to bring that back to Australia. So um, I, I, I wonder whether or not there's an aspect here of, um, of not um, pushing stuff before you have product. You know, it, it's almost like startup... Um, people not wanting to, you know, bullshit for lack of a better term. You know, talking about things they've actually done rather than things they're going to do. Um, I find that, you know, people are hesitant to to talk about the things that, that you know, the plans that they're doing and the way they're going to do stuff. They went, I'm going to go off and build this thing now. And that takes time and effort and slows the whole process down. Yeah, possibly. I remember, um, this is again just a cultural point, when I was again at South by Southwest, I had a guy come up to me and pitch a startup and he gave this fantastic two-minute pitch, talked about all the investors, talked about their traction. He wasn't even a founder. He was just an employee at the startup. He was so enamoured with the startup that he just came up and pitched me, um, which Australians don't really do. They're much more reluctant to share the story. Right? Well, and I mean, it's we're modest. <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it, it's, it's funny to say that. I mean, it's very funny being an American in Australia because Americans are not naturally modest, right? We will sing our virtues. And in some ways that creates an advantage, but in some ways, of course, it creates a lot of resentment. And Australians are, are naturally reluctant to sing their own praises. It's a very sweet characteristic, but it doesn't necessarily mesh well with, uh, with entrepreneurial or startup culture. That's true. And I love that characteristic about Australia. And I'm just like that myself. I'm an introverted. I'm not going to tell you if, you know, if I'm amazing. I'm just going to do my stuff. Um, but you're right. It doesn't really match with pitching. It doesn't really match with raising money. It doesn't really match with getting press. Um, so it might, be, it might just be that's how we build our startups. Because you're not going to change that about us, perhaps. Well, I mean, in some ways, you're absolutely right. I mean, you take a look at some of the most successful starters, right? Atlassian, right? The founders there are totally modest. You know, they just make this great stuff. It happens to work really well because it's got really good traction. But they're not... Yeah, it's. Uh, I almost want to, uh, you know, coin the term of, uh, you know, Aussie-style startups, right? Mm. Um, you know, Atlassian campaign model, they're, ob and, you know, they're obviously an example of the big end of town. But... There's a, I guess there's a little bit of a tipping point is if you're really new, then what you need is some validation, right? You know, because you, you need some people to give you that feedback. You need to talk to people. I know that the network effect down here, you know, I've only been in Victoria for 12 months. Right. However, I, yesterday, I reckon I knew about 30 or 40% of the room, you know, and that was just because I'm out there doing stuff um, and I'm not even building a startup right now. If I were, then there'd be a lot of people out there who would be interested in what I was doing. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that sort of getting out and about it, you know, if we coin, if we call it presence, you know, like you, you can't like quietly beavering away in your bedroom is cool, but um, 
you know, you need to get some, some of that validation around it. And a bit of social proof from people that will actually call crap on your product is probably not a bad idea. So if, we have, if we've identified, I guess, certain weaknesses, one of the weaknesses is the ability to be front foot forward around your own, your own capacity or the capacity of your startup, right? Okay, that's... It's a cultural thing. It's fine because Australians will take the time to learn who's good. And again, when you talk about this network effect, this is this is one of the things. It's like, it's like any area where there's a bunch of people interrelated. Everyone sort of knows everyone else. Everyone knows what everyone's skills and capacities are. And that's very true in Australia. So you probably know the right people to go to. So some of that, that work's been taken care of. On the other hand, when you're talking about investment, and I think this is the next level up because I actually think that putting the teams together and building great products, you're right, we have that down. Where we classically have fallen short is being able to give people the funding that they need. Now, it's there's a bit of a mis- misnomer that funding is falling off of trees in San Francisco, but certainly the ways of organizing capital for companies that look like they're successful or could be successful is a much clearer path. They have worked all of this out. While we can't crowdfund in the same way in Australia that they can in America, the thing that we can do is educate people around angel investing. And is that one of the things that Startup Victoria should be doing so that it can help prime the other end of the pump so that once you have those great startups going, there is a path that they know to walk through with people who understand what they're getting involved with? So it's an interesting question. My my gut feel would be no. So Startup Victoria is very much focused on founders. So we believe that we're trying to help Melbourne build a great ecosystem. We believe we'll do that by focusing on founders and making founders better. doesn't mean that investors... But if you focus. can't feed the founders, then you can put the ecosystem up all you want. Yeah, no, that's not true. I think that um, on the funding side of things, that there's... In in Australia here especially, you need the three things. You need you need your, your your team together. You need some product, and you need a little bit of traction. Seems to be the Aussie way, right? Yeah. So yeah. people aren't. I rarely seen anyone getting any money for an idea, right? Um, especially an idea without a team, and and even less an idea without a team with some sort of prototype. But if you get that that trifecta, um, which I've helped a couple of startups raise a couple of um, uh, angel rounds uh, recently, um, people will have that conversation with you. I think people are founders may still be expecting that they've got some crazy idea and people are going to throw money at them, and it just doesn't happen here in Australia. So this is this is the show me economy then, right? You really do have to show traction, which is a little different. Yeah, but uh, it, interesting enough, you know, Dave McClure was out here last week and he was talking about you know his traction and you know if you have a B two B company here at five thousand dollars a month, which one of the ones we raised at was that that with two customers, right. like all of a sudden there's not many people who are looking to fund high growth startups who won't talk to you it's true so i mean certainly in australia in terms of funding you do need to have traction you probably need to show for most a business case which will get you to cash flow positive or profitability on that single race um i mean in australia entrepreneurs can't use the funding environment as an excuse for lack of success um i don't think that's a valid reason but it certainly is a tough funding environment and it won't be solved in my opinion, you won't be able to say Australia has a great funding environment until it becomes competitive for deals. At the moment, it's not competitive and it's super hard to make your deal competitive. So you can raise money from a bunch of angel investors, but to get two term sheets, three term sheets, super, super hard. And until it becomes that 
like productive and that good, then it'll still be a tough funding environment. Yeah, I think the the marketplace for funding here is is the opposite of, of, of other places around the world, which is plenty of people would love to have some funding. Um, there aren't very many people funding, which means that they can be they can just say no. You know, it's like you, you need to stand out. You need to be the one where you go, look, I've got this thing, and. Here's a team. Here's what we've done so far, and here's a, a, a snippet of how, where we're going traction-wise. Um, you know, your risks have been mitigated to the point where your money will help us prove that we didn't fluke it. And by the time we're done, we're cash flow positive. And the next time we have this conversation, it's going to be: I don't really need your money, um, but I'll take some more to really go fast, to really grow. So I guess then it does come back to the founders. You have to be able to guide the founders into this situation where they basically have the team. So what are you doing to help them build great teams? So Startup Victoria, it's an interesting one. I mean, if I had the solution for how to find a co-founder, I'd be a billionaire. <laughs> that, that, is a, that is a billion dollar problem, but no one has a solution for it because everyone wants the best co-founder. So we do things like co-founder dating, speed dating. I'm not sure that's a great solution, but we do it just to get people mixing. Um, you know. Well, I mean, if they don't get out, it's like you're dating in the real world. Yeah, you don't get exactly. out, you're not going to get a date. My advice is always meet as many people as you can um, put a timeline under at least 12 months because it might take that long to find the right person um, and, you know, learn as many skills as you can. So, you know, if you're a, a non-tech developer, learn some tech so that you don't have to rely on finding a tech, a tech guy. Um, but in terms of, you know, finding the right people for your team, Startup Victoria obviously puts on a lot of events. Um, it's really important that people come along to those events to build the network because um, you build your team from the people you know. Um, so that, I think that's one thing Startup Victoria can do is just build this big database of people in Victoria with the right skills and, and get them along to events and get them mixing. So it's like that other half of AngelList, which is more like a skills exchange. Yeah. Okay. So final question. In five years' time, if you've done your job right, what does the startup scene look like in Victoria and what is Startup Victoria doing? What I would love to happen if I've done my job right is I think at the moment the startup scene in Victoria is is great and it's growing and there's lots of passion um, but it skews towards old entrepreneurs. I don't know if that's typical of all ecosystems so I'd say like early to mid 30s is quite typical of entrepreneurs even late 30s early 40s. What I would love to see is more young people having a crack. Um, so more people either doing it at university or coming out of university and saying, my first option when I come out of university with my comp sci degree, I'm going to do a startup. I don't care about your IBM internship, don't care, I'm going to do a startup. If we get more of that happening, I'd be super happy. If we get more startups being successful, like big successes, I'd also be super happy. Scott, thank you very much for joining us in This Week in Startups Australia. Thanks, Mark. Hi, this is Mark Pesci, and when Felix and I are in the studio, our little, tiny, cramped, stuffy studio, we take a lot of pictures because we want to expose you to the experience of what it's like to record This Week in Startups Australia. And when we get those pictures, we upload them to our Tumblr, which is at twistartupsaus.tumblr.com. Up there, you can find the pictures of us with our guests. You can find links to the guests' Twitter profiles and their great products and their stories and documents, whatever they have given us to share, we want to share with you. There's links to the SoundCloud podcasts, everything that you want more depth and more experience of This Week in Startups Australia you can find on our Tumblr at twistartupsaus.tumblr.com. 
The end of November, I found myself in Canberra testifying to the Senate Economic References Committee, one of the standing Senate committees. This one covers areas concerning the economy. These were the very first hearings on digital currencies and, of course, specifically on Bitcoin. And I was the very first cab off the rank and explained in somewhat technical terms how Bitcoin worked, how the blockchain worked, all of this stuff. And immediately... I found myself peppered with questions from senators who had a lot more questions about the economics of Bitcoin than I could actually answer. And we had some other folks come up and talk to the committee. Over the course of that morning, uh, one fellow got to the committee and spoke into the microphone. And as soon as that happened, it seemed like a fog cleared the room. And that was... Chris Gazowski, who is sitting next to me this morning at This Week in Startups Australia. Welcome to the show, Chris. Thank you very much, Mark. How did your interest in Bitcoin begin? My interest in Bitcoin began when I met up with a very old, very good friend of mine here in Sydney, and he's a very senior um, investment banker and portfolio manager in the infrastructure space, which is, in fact, what I was doing in my previous life, building wind farms. And his brother has been a Bitcoin enthusiast since about 2012. And his brother, they're all a very highly intelligent family. And his brother had been harping on about this Bitcoin technology to my friend for about a year. And initially, that... that um, spooking was disregarded, as it usually is. <laughs> because you know it's your brother and what does he know? <laughs> exactly. But uh, after it became relentless, uh, Daniel, my friend, started to pay attention and he uh, drew my attention to the technology, which was somewhere on my radar, but my focus was definitely not on it. Right. So he pursued me and convinced me to go over to Miami for the Bitcoin conference right. to see what all the fuss was about. And that's what I did. I got on a plane, went over to Miami and... and the fog had lifted for me right. uh, as such, and I realized the potential of the technology, and it was really on a crest. And uh, because I had uh, some free time on my hands, I thought that, that would be a worthy pursuit um, to try and, I guess, evangelize, commercialize, and, and uh, bring to market the technology. So you've taken a very unusual approach to to commercializing Bitcoin technology. You see a lot of other folks have set up exchanges or trading desks or whatever, but you've actually founded a company, ABA Technology, that's introducing Bitcoin ATMs around Australia. That's right. Well, ABA Technology 1.0, if you like, was the importation and operation of Bitcoin ATMs. And we have four in operation now in Sydney, Melbourne, Canberra, and a second one here in Sydney. Uh, and the, the idea behind was what behind that uh, business plan was that the most difficult element of the Bitcoin ecosystem was access to Bitcoins because Bitcoins are great as a technology. They work fantastically to remit money from one part of the world to another uh, seamlessly, cheaply. But to use Bitcoin, you have to own Bitcoin. Right. And it's very difficult to purchase them because it's very difficult to identify who else owns one. If you want to use an exchange, they're overseas. It takes days to get money to that exchange. You're taking counterparty risk of that uh, exchange. So we thought we'd take that out of it. Wait, counterparty risk being? Counterparty risk being the fact that the exchange holds your money and your Bitcoin for you. So they are your counterparty in that transaction. But whilst that transaction is occurring, or whilst 
you are transacting with them, they actually are the custodians of your Bitcoin and your cash. So you're risking. Um, and we just had a Bitcoin theft this week, didn't we? In uh, That's right. So Bit- Bitstamp. Bitstamp, uh, which Bitstamp. is located in what country? Slovenia. So they're a London or UK registered company, which right. were founded in Slovenia and still have some operations out of Slovenia. They're, right. They're VC backed. They had a $10 million investment in them. They're but a $5 million theft this week. Company. But yes, there was a security incident, which meant that $5 million of Bitcoins vanished. And right. they took that on the chin and um, and they promised that all of the Bitcoins, uh, all the customers' money will be um, will be safe and returned. Mm-hmm. However, they went out of operation. They have been out of operation for 48 hours now. Uh, they affected our operation somewhat, but we could adjust because we have a number of, of parties that we trade with, but we took that counterparty risk away from the customer right. so the customer can still seamlessly trade, uh, buy and sell Bitcoin. If they were if they were trading with Bitstamp, it's possible that their accounts would have been frozen for some amount of time, and they 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 were susceptible for lo- to losing money. So then the attraction here, and this is good because I didn't really understand this before we had this conversation. The attraction of a Bitcoin ETM is that it is an immediate operation. Exactly. That it is literally a transaction as opposed to something that has a whole bunch of other intermediate operations involved in it. At least from my point of view as a purchaser. Exactly. It's the most immediate way that you can purchase Bitcoin. So you go up to the machine, you decide how much. You want to you, you identify yourself firstly because we're complying with AML right. regulations. Um, AML anti money laundering. Exactly, and uh, we, we don't want to facilitate any anonymous transactions. So you identify yourself because you're performing a legitimate transaction, right. and you enter the the amount of cash for which you want to buy Bitcoin, and that Bitcoin is sent to the to the uh, Bitcoin address that you communicate with us seamlessly immediately. Um, Okay, so that so it really does, in that sense, take out. I mean, other than the fact that I have to travel to the ATM to do this transaction, it takes all of the other uh, risk out of uh, what is still. It sounds like quite a risky form of currency exchange. Well, that's right. I mean, the the technology is only six years old. It's right. really uh, in its infancy, and uh, as more people invest in it as more focus and resources are poured into the technology, it's becoming more secure. And the number of security incidents are lowering and the number of transactions are increasing. But where there has been a lot of hype about Bitcoin, but it's still very, very young. Yeah. Uh, and infrastructure such as the ATMs are just one step of the process to give people comfort, to give people the service of being able to purchase and sell the, the Bitcoins. So how much, how much uh, transaction flow are the ATMs seeing? Are they more curiosities or are people actually using them? Oh, no, the, both. I mean, we're seeing a lot of first-time users come up and, and mm-hmm. purchase $20 worth. Mm-hmm. But often we have we have a lot of repeat customers that will come back and purchase $500 worth. It's very hard for us to distinguish between those people that are using the ATM to purchase Bitcoin that they want to send, remit, spend, right. or save, or, or speculate on the price. Um, but we're seeing a huge plethora of transactions from $5 all the way to $10,000. Okay. And we're, we're seeing solid transaction volume month on month. Uh, which is which has a growing tendency. Hence the reason you've just installed a second machine in Sydney then. That's right. Okay, because right. you wouldn't be doing that if it, if it couldn't justify itself. Exactly. And th- so that has been ABA Technology 1.0. And we've been developing for the last six months a wallet um, because we've identified that a lot of people come to us and go, okay, I w- would like to play with this new technology. I know the benefits of Bitcoin, but what technology do I use? What wallet do I use, etc.? Uh, and because we're not in a position to go and analyze all the wallets out there, right. uh, we've had some great uh, technical talent come to us and say that they want to work with us on these projects. And we've built 
best-in-class uh, wallet technology, which we're in the process of testing and will be going to market in, in this quarter. Of and is it a local wallet or is it a cloud wallet? It's, it's a, a wallet which will be uh, on the device. Okay, so, so similar to, I use Bread Wallet. Right. Right, for iOS, which is a wallet that's on the device for iOS. And that was specifically why I chose it. It's because I wanted to have my bitcoins here as opposed to on a machine where they could be copied and stolen exactly, or anywhere else. Exactly, exactly. Right. So we're, we're following that BIP39 protocol, which means that um, the, we have the... Um, well, the, the BIP39 protocol is the... Um, the ability for people to, um, well, it's, it's a heuristic deterministic wallet. So um, we will not use a public address twice. Right. Um, but all the uh, addresses are related. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a, a very um, a kind of best in class element yeah. of, of the technology. It's sort of a one-time pad. It's disposable. Yeah. That's right. Um, and... Uh, you can write down a mnemonic, which mm-hmm. is a phrase, mm-hmm. uh, which you store. You can store written down in your safe, and then you can use a, a bread wallet, which, for example, uses the same technology. Right, and you can recover that same wallet using uh, and the the value oh, in is, that wallet. That's right, because when you establish the bread brand. wallet, you have to give it this long string that's then used as the recovery phrase. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Okay. So whilst um, we don't store your private keys, right. Um, you're you're not at risk using our technology because if something happened to us, you have that mnemonic and you can use any other technology provider that uses the same uh, Bitcoin improvement protocol uh, and recover your wallet. Okay, so once, once ABA technology gets a wallet into the market, how does that then start to change the way the business works? Well, that's going to be just another service that we provide our customers. Uh, we're not going to be charging for that wallet. Uh, it's just going to be a, a value-added service. But it's a very simple, a very beautiful wallet, and we hope that that's going to make it much easier for people to use Bitcoin because we're taking a lot of the intimidating elements right. and technical elements uh, of Bitcoin, which with the current wallets are very in your face, yeah. uh, which most people don't care about and only confuses them and intimidates them. Well, I mean, you don't have to care about all the pin technology or the chip technology in your credit card to use it, right? Exactly. Even though it's quite sophisticated, it's designed so that it can't be stolen and yet it's completely effectively shielded from people. Exactly. Exactly. It's similarly with the email. I mean, a lot of people compare Bitcoin technology to email technology. Um, a lot of people at this stage asking, how does Bitcoin work? Oh, uh, how, you know, there's no bank, there's no institution that's guaranteeing my money. But nobody cares cares how banks work, nor does anybody care how Until they fail. That's right. All right. You're listening to This Week in Startups Australia. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Mark Pesci, and I'd like to introduce our brand new sponsor, Oxygen Ventures. Oxygen Ventures invests in passionate and innovative entrepreneurs who are building global first and scalable tech companies and who are looking to raise a late seed or series A round. Oxygen don't consider themselves fund-only investors. They're business builders. They offer strategic advice. They give you introductions to their network. They offer business support as part of the investment. And they have a mandate to invest in software-only tech businesses looking to raise between $500,000 and $5 million. Learn more at oxygenventures.com.au. 
And we're back with Chris Gazowski, the founder and CEO of ABA Technologies, talking about Bitcoin, where it's going, how it's going to be used. So one of the most interesting things about Bitcoin right now is that most of the governmental institutions still haven't come to any consensus on how to work with it. One of the things that I learned during the Senate hearings that we both participated in was that although the Australian tax office treats Bitcoin as a commodity, different parts of the United States federal government treat it either as a commodity or as a currency. And so there isn't any clear sense of how Bitcoin can be treated. Now, is that presenting problems for you as a business that there's this sort of big gray area around all of this? Of course. The the fact that there is confusion and there isn't a clear regulatory landscape does raise question marks, does um, increase the risk profile of the technology, does intimidate potential investors, but it also creates an opportunity because if the rules were set in stone and everything was black on white, you'd have the traditional players already embracing this and innovating in this space. So I see the technology and the opportunity that the that, that, that technology offers partially because of the regulatory lack of regulatory framework, which means that investors and uh, entrepreneurs with a high risk profile can innovate in the space. And when the technology matures, we're going to be leaps and bounds ahead of the incumbent, um, let's say, financial institutions that would also get a lot of benefits from the technology. Uh, well, and the, 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 uh, those institutions will simply purchase you at that point, right? I mean, that's that's what's going to happen is as those, uh, as the regulatory framework is cleared up, as we get the bit license from the New York state government and these other things, you know, the, the big players will move in, some by just establishing their own things and some by purchasing companies that have established leadership in this. Sure. I mean, we're very open to cooperation with, with uh, established financial institutions because we've, we respect their market position. We respect um, the services they offer, the customer base that they have, and and a lot of them are doing innovative things within the incumbent system. The system itself is moving quite slowly, but this is a real opportunity yeah. for it to accelerate and offer better services to more people, which are cheaper, which are more accessible uh I mean, how does, putting your thinking cap on, how does this play out over the, say, next two or three years? You know, we've seen certainly 2014 was definitely a watershed year in terms of the just people becoming aware of Bitcoin. I don't pe- think a lot of people were using it yet, but a lot of people became aware of it who were not aware of it before. Mm-hmm. Um, and my sense is that 2015 is going to start to see institutions becoming aware of it in a way that they haven't been before. How is this going to evolve? Where do you think um, Bitcoin will exist within the greater financial system in 2015, 2016, 2017? That's a good question. I believe that there's going to be one of two Outcomes. One is that a few solid Bitcoin companies will emerge and uh, the, the Bitcoin technology will concentrate to a few credible companies um, who have the resources to invest a lot in the development of the technology right. and they'll become 
Bitcoin players, such as Google is dominant in the search space and the email space, uh, Microsoft in the operating system space, etc. Alternatively, Bitcoin and the technology would just become an additional backbone to existing financial institutions. And Bitcoin itself would just become a protocol which operates in the background and the majority of users won't even realize. So similar to Stellar or Ripple in that respect, right? Where it's just something that the banks are using to talk amongst each other. And I should say, um, uh, peer financial entities, because it's no longer banks at that point, but it's a way that financial entities compare with each other around transactions. Exactly. Um, In which case, it's becoming much more disruptive to, say, clearinghouses and payment systems such as the credit card companies than it would necessarily be to an incumbent bank, for example. And I think that's where the, the exciting opportunity lies and why I'm surprised that the uh, Australian banks have been so conservative and have had such a conservative attitude towards Bitcoin, shying away from it, which is very quickly changing, I might add. But there's such a huge opportunity for banks to take a little bit of power away from the Visa and MasterCards because ultimately Bitcoin as a protocol is very similar to the Visa and MasterCard platform. Visa and MasterCard used to be owned by the banks, but since then they have become public companies which have their shareholders that they report to and as such they're taking a large share of the pie and the banks are at their mercy to a large extent. Uh, where they're, they're, the control is slipping out of their, their hands. And they don't seem to care, but I have a feeling that they're going to become more sensitive towards that and they're going to realise and appreciate that this, the Bitcoin technology, is an opportunity to become less reliant upon Visa and MasterCard. So will we sometime in the next two years see something that's like a credit card that's backed by Bitcoins? I'm pretty confident that we will, yeah. And I have a feeling that... Whilst the Apple Pays and the incumbents may make mobile banking or mobile payments mm-hmm. um, more uh, established and uh, widely used, I have a feeling that Bitcoin will be the technology foundation upon which a lot of independent players will p- develop much sexier, functional Applications. All right, so you're one of those independent players. So now let's talk about then what the business strategy is for ABA technology. Is it around just sort of being in enough to make enough bets on the board that you hope one of them will play out, which is you know a good strategy for emergency emerging technology markets, just to put a bunch of bets on there and one of them will pay off, or is it to focus on a specific domain? As far as I'm concerned. For Bitcoin to be successful, there has to be a healthy ecosystem. Right. And we saw the ATMs as the cornerstone of that ecosystem mm-hmm. because to use Bitcoin, you have to own it. And this is the easiest, quickest, cheapest way to buy it. Right. Um, thereafter, you have to easily be able to use it. So the wallet will enable people to be able to hold, spend, send, receive. So it's the like a series of steps. First is to purchase, then is to be able to hold. And then it sounds like the next place is actually going to merchants. Exactly. So you need to have something with which you can spend it or send it to merchants. But ultimately, a merchant solution is just another wallet. Because 
just well, like, it's a wallet on the merchant side as opposed right. to on the client right. side. Right. And you need to have a few layers such as multiple access for employees right. of a merchant. Right. And you need to give them a few services such as taking the Bitcoin price risk and converting it into fiat for them. Right. Um, but that's also a technology that, that will be able to offer merchants because it's so similar to the wallet technology. And that's what's going to make that ecosystem uh, com- complete. And we already are, have treasury operations, which are managing the Bitcoin price risk. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for us to offer that as a service to merchants, for them to be able to accept Bitcoin is just a small extension of what we're already doing. So it's a matter of leveraging what we're already doing and be able to offer that to as many um, customers as possible so that there is that thriving ecosystem where people can seamlessly use the Bitcoin and start appreciating the benefits Now, we had uh, Ronald Tucker in here during the last series, and he and you are involved in the Australian Digital Currency and Commerce Association, right? That's right. So the goal of the ADCCA is to essentially, I guess, what, provide the, the, the institutional framework for the different players in the community to be able to to agree around these things? Exactly. So it's a matter of creating a self-regulatory system and a self-regulatory framework, which all the, the ideally all the Bitcoin players abide by, which will give consumers confidence that there is best practice, which is being adhered to, that they have a body, which consumers have a body that they can go and report issues to. And it's a stamp of confidence for consumers and merchants that that there is a body overseeing the industry. And so that they won't run into, say, another Mt. Gox or Bitstamp or whatever it might be. There is an oversight body that will be making sure that, and we all help each other to make sure that we're all maintaining best practice and limiting the risks as much as possible. And I guess that's, I mean, when you're dealing with a currency, the first thing that people are going to be concerned about is losing their money, right? So risk is always first and foremost. So how do you then move forward in a way that allows you to be risky in your business practice, but also allows you to minimize the risk of the people who are participating in Bitcoin? That's another good question, Mark. There's going to be a, or there is a challenge of educating consumers uh, that this technology liberates them from institutional providers of financial services. Mm -hmm. Bitcoin is a decentralized ledger which records different individuals' store of value. And it allows you, without an institution, to hold value and send value. Mm -hmm. It's based purely on technology, and it allows you to store that on your... uh, within an application or control it within an application on your smartphone, but it's not necessarily provided by a banking institution. So it puts you as the individual in control, uh, and you have to appreciate that your... Um, by being in control and being independent of institutions which have risk attached to themselves, right. which the vast majority of consumers don't understand. So here they're, they're taking some technology risk rather than the financial risks of the uh, institutions that provide them those services currently. And I believe that the Bitcoin technology can provide the same services in an easier, cheaper manner. And that will... Um, particularly become uh, clear as the technology evolves and matures. It's only six years old. 
And that's the thing I think probably we need to remember is that this is very early days. If you took a look at the web after it was six years old, it was 1995. That's right. All right? And the web in 1995 was small. It was raw. It was not particularly well suited for people, but it had a core group of people like yourself who believed in it and brought it to the rest of the world. And were patient to keep investing their resources, uh, looking for other uh, passionate people to get involved, to invest their time and money to bring the, the technology to market. Because as I'll paraphrase Mark Anderson, big things take time. <laughs> Chris Krzyzewski. Thank you very much for joining us on This Week in Startups Australia. Thank you, Mark. Big thanks to sponsors Optus Innovate and Oxygen Ventures. It's their support that makes this podcast possible. Thanks to Felix Warmuth and AnalogCabin.net for their hard work creating a podcast that is consistently a pleasure to listen to. Thanks to Scott Hensecker and Chris Kozowski for coming on to the show today. And thanks to Matt Allen again for being our awesome Melbourne producer. We'll be back in a fortnight. Until then, this is Mark Pesci thanking you for listening to This Week in Startups Australia.